I am. My name is Chris. I'm one of the staff members here at West Salem. And uh, it's, a, it's a good day to be in church. I hope you know that. Because like, God, God's here. Amen? Okay, so two people, two people know that the God of the universe, the one who created everything, including you, including me, who empowered Holy Spirit, who saved us from ourselves and our sin, he's here today. Are you with me right now? Do you believe it? Okay. There we go. Now we can get into the Bible. This week, uh, we are talking about work. We've been going through the, uh, the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs is a lot of essentially Solomon's, uh, it's his Twitter account. If you don't know what Twitter is, I understand, it's okay. It's essentially a lot of one-liners that gives us the, uh, the very practical tools to live uh, a really godly life with. And so what we've been doing these last few weeks, and we'll be doing it a couple more weeks after this, is, is uh, taking just a few of the major themes throughout the book of Proverbs and, uh, and talking about them. They're super practical, uh, but, but sometimes the most practical things are the most powerful things. I hope you're with me when I say that. We don't always have to have our heads in the clouds. We can have our hands to the plow. That kind of rhymes, but that's because I'm a former would-be rapper. It's okay. But we're talking about work today. Uh, but before we go into the Bible, let's, let's pray one more time. Father, we love you so much, and we're so thankful that you are here. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that before we were ever saved, you loved us. Before we ever did anything of good, which only comes from you, that you loved us. God, we come to your word not to become a better version of ourselves. We come to your word to become more like Jesus. And we know that we need your Holy Spirit to do so. So Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place. We ask you to have your way, to speak to us, to encourage us, to build us up. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Well, uh, before we get to the book of Proverbs, just a little bit about work. Work is actually, uh, when we talk about work, here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about works, like earning your salvation or not earning your salvation. We're not talking about works versus faith. We're actually talking about like hand to the plow, the things that we do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, God has a lot to say about our work. In fact, from the very start of the Bible, work was actually a major theme. From the work that Adam was called to do to the construction of cities and tabernacles and communities all throughout the Old Testament, work was important to God. All through the New Testament, there's a theme of this word stewardship. And stewardship is just putting, uh, putting your hand to something and, and improving it and taking what God gives us and doing what he wants us to do with that thing. Stewardship is a huge theme throughout the New Testament Work is important to God. Like your, your work is important to God. Not just your job, but what you do with your hands and what you do with your relationships. What you do with the, the time that you've been given, the 24 hours each day that you've been given, it's, it's important to God. Because you're important to God. Your time that he has given you is it's really important. 
And the more that we can come to the beginning of each one of our days and say, God, this is, this is the time you've given me. Please have your way. And the more that we can end our days and say, God, I hope that what I did had eternal value, then the more that we can live a life that truly honors him. Work is important. In fact, uh, just, just so you can kind of be on the same page with me, I want to talk to you a little bit about the, um, the worst job I ever had. Worst job I ever had. Now, it's not as bad as some of the jobs you've had. I know this. I'm, uh, it, wasn't in, it wasn't like, I won't list them because it, it might be your profession and there's just things I can't do because I'm not a hard uh, work with the hand type of guy. I'm, I'm a computer guy. But the worst job I ever had, I was 17 years old. Um, and I worked at a place called Oshkosh Bagosh. Oshkosh Bagosh, if you don't know, sells kids' clothes. I was a 17-year-old aspiring rapper, so it was a perfect place for me. Um, and not only was it Oshkosh Bagosh, but it was, it was that place inside of a, uh, a dying outlet mall. Like an outlet mall that you, you can see the tumbleweeds uh, go through the hallways of the place. And so I, uh, I had a friend who knew I needed a job, and, and she's like, hey, I really hate this job, but maybe you can come and work with me and we can make it fun. And just as a side note, if anyone ever says, I hate my job, come work with me, don't do that uh, because it, it won't work out well for both of you. My uh, boss knew that we were friends, so she made sure that we did not have shifts together ever. And so it was me and one other stranger in a place where you had to be on your feet and actively working in a place that had no customers. And so hours and hours a day, I would, um, I would unfold clothes just to fold them again. And I knew nothing about kids' clothes. In fact, I remember the moment about a week into my job that uh, somebody came up to me with a very simple question. That it was this, it's, hey, where, where are your onesies? And I realized at that moment, working at a kid's clothing store, that I had no idea what a onesie is. And, and I had to look at that person and say, I'm um, sorry, what are you asking? <laughs> I had to clarify that they were asking like a real word, because uh, I, I had zero interest in it. I had zero passion for it. But what I didn't know at that moment is that that job, along with every other job, whether it was meaningful or completely boring, it mattered to God. And it had things within it that were meant to teach me. They were meant to refine me. They were meant to, to, to mold me into who Jesus wanted me to become. And it didn't matter that the job wasn't exciting. It mattered that God had placed me there for a reason. And that reason was the same reason we're placed anywhere that God has given us. And that is simply this, to glorify him. In fact, the, the big idea that we're going to work around today is simply this, is that we are called to work the hardest at what will bring God the most glory. Our jobs as Christ followers are to discover what God values and then establish that here on earth. That is stewardship. As we increase our ability to steward the life God gives us, we will glorify him more and more. And today, we're going to look at how to increase our ability to become a steward. And we're going to do so by looking at two books. We're going to look at Proverbs and Genesis. But for, for right now, let's turn to Genesis. In fact, let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at a few things that, that Proverbs, uh, sorry, Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to look at a few things that 
that the, uh, Solomon told, tells us about our work. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8 says this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, and no ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food for the harvest. We're talking about the work of our hands. And this, this proverb is kind of something that if you're a Christ follower or you're not a Christ follower, if you're here this morning just because somebody brought you but you're not sure about this Jesus thing, this is a proverb you can actually, you can actually put into your life right now. And, and there's three things that we can pull from this about the work of our hands is simply this. Is number one, a good worker, some, a worker whose, uh, whose hands are being put to the plow, number one, is a self-starter. He has no commander. He sees what needs to be done, and he just goes and does it. Or she sees what needs to be done, and she just goes and does it. It's a self-starter. They have no commander. And they also are uh, developing self-control. Consider the ant that, that uh, stores its provisions in the summer, who takes what they could be consuming right now and puts it aside so that they can begin to have it in their time of need. There's a, a level of self-control to the work that we do that we have to allow God to develop within us. There's a level of self-control with what we do with our time. There's a level of self-control in our words. There's a level of self-control in our relationships that we need to allow God to develop within us. They have no commander. They put their, their uh, storage aside for the time that there's going to be lack. And lastly, they have vision for what God has put in their hands. Consider the ant who puts the provision away for summer. They, they know that there will be a purpose for what they're doing right now that will carry on into their future. There's vision for what they're doing right now that carries on into the future. We have to know that what we're doing today is important. And that goes beyond age, that goes beyond occupation, that goes beyond what you deem to be important. What you do today is important and God wants to give you a vision for what you're doing today. God wants to reignite your passion for today. God wants to put within your hearts a, an excitement about waking up every morning because today matters to him. Then we begin to uh, we go over to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12 says this. Whoever works with his hands will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Now, the first one anyone can, can kind of do. Anyone can become a self-starter. Anyone can uh, develop a little bit of self-control. People all over the world, whether they follow Christ, know, some, know that today can affect tomorrow. But this one requires us to take an inventory of our values when it comes to the things that we do. You've probably heard the phrase, work smarter and not harder, and that's really the idea that's expressed here. That there are times we may find ourselves spinning our wheels, working towards things that will not ultimately satisfy us the way God intended. There are times when we find out that the things we've been working towards are, are what the Bible would call worthless pursuits. And it, it's not a point of shame. It's just a point of saying, hey, let's recalibrate here. 
Let's get back to what matters. Let's invest more time. Let's invest our money. Let's invest our talents into what really matters. And there's a a moment where we at times realize that what we are doing right now, uh, it doesn't have the eternal value that God would want for our lives. And so we just go back to him and do what this next proverb says in Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16 out of these three are the, is the proverb that only us who follow Christ can do. And it says this, Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Committing our works to God is more than, is more than just simply saying a prayer before we do it. It's more than simply with our words saying, I, I commit this to you. In the same way that a, a, a music artist going up to receive a Grammy for a song that has nothing to do about Jesus says, God, I thank you for this song about shaking my booty. You know, like it's just, it just doesn't, the words of their mouth don't reflect the intentions of the songs that they're putting out. And, and sometimes we can say we're committing to God the things that we do. And then uh, it, it, the work that we do doesn't always reflect that. Working, uh, committing to Uh, Committing our works to God is more than just a simple prayer. It's trusting him enough to work with complete character and integrity and diligence in the way that glorifies him the best that we can. And we do this with whatever is put in front of us. He will establish the long-term plans for our life. In fact... It flips, it flips an idea that a lot of us have, including myself at times, and that idea is this. Give me meaningful work, God, and I'll work really hard at it. Give me something that, you know, will change the world, and then I will put all of my efforts towards it. And we have generations that say this. We have, we have people all over the earth, not just young people. We can't all put it on the millennials. I'm one of them. Please don't put it all on me. But we have an idea that says, if you give me something important, I'll work hard at this. And this proverb here flips that on its head. And it, simply, it really says this. It says, work hard at what is in front of you, and God will show you the meaning that was there all along. The relationships that aren't easy... The job that we have that isn't exactly what we were dreaming about when we were going to college. The, the, the hobbies that aren't really panning out. The, the, the friendships that are not as deep as we would have liked them to be. Many times we get stuck because we grow slack with what is before us. Yet we continue to ask God to reveal what's down the road. And here Solomon says this. He says, let our plans be established by how we treat the work we have in our hands today. And that goes for every age demographic. It goes for every occupation. It goes to all different areas of our lives. I want to take just a moment. And I want to, I want to encourage you. Because what I, f- what I felt when I was praying for the- these services is that there are areas of some of our life where we have become disengaged with actually pressing in and working 
for what really matters. There's, there's marriages in this church where one spouse or both spouses have quit putting in the hard work of drawing closer together, of submitting to one another, of, of reflecting God in the relationships. And God today wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit so he can begin to reignite your passion for what it is to be a married couple that reflects the image of Jesus here on this earth. And there's some of us here today, you might not feel like you're in the right career, that, but, but God wants to put a, a passion in you to say, today matters, the job you have to today matters. What you're doing today matters. The schooling that you're in right now, it matters. Don't pull back. He wants to put his spirit in you so that you can begin to press in and know that he is with you today in the things that you are doing today, no matter how important they may look in the natural. He's molding you. He's shaping you. He's empowering you. He's setting you up for something in the future that you might not be able to see today. But as we commit our works to his hand, by just doing them with integrity, by doing them with, with, uh, uh, with complete uh, enthusiasm, even, even though it might not be something that's very exciting, as we begin to honor him by praying about the jobs that we have and the relationships that we have, as we begin to do that, he wants to put his spirit in us and empower us to do beyond what we can imagine, but we have to put the hand to the plow today. God's here with you. and He wants to encourage you, and he wants to equip you. Work wasn't just important to Solomon. Work's always been important to God since the beginning. And for just a moment, I want us to look at the, at the origins of what we would say work. And if you could turn to, to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. We're not going to read the entire account of this, but I want to pull out a few, a few passages. Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28. This is the account of, of God creating Adam and Eve. And it says this. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then later on, God takes Adam. And in verse two, uh, or chapter 2, verse 15, it says that the Lord God took the man. He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, the account of Adam and Eve is really also an account to show us God's original intention for much of our life. In fact, a lot of our theology can find itself in the account of Adam and Eve in the first three chapters of Genesis. And when we go back into this account of Adam, here's one thing that we, we see is that we were created to work. Before the fall, before sin entered, it says that God created Adam and he put him in the garden to work it, to take care of it. And through the narrative of Adam, we see a picture of how God intended all of us to live our lives. God intended us to work. 
In fact, when he created Adam, he blessed him. He gave him a job description. And then he, he, he stepped back and he says, hey, that was really, really good. Before he had created the earth and he, before he had created the skies and the heaven, he said, that was, that was good. But then he creates man. He puts him in a, in a job and he steps back and he says, that was really good. We were created to work. In fact, I want to read a, a, a quote to you. And it's a lengthy quote. So you kind of buckle up your seat belts and, and really lean into this because within this has a lot of what, I'm, uh, of what we're talking about today. But listen to this quote. It says, Adam's dominion over the whole garden was to expand into the dominion of the whole earth. By producing godly offspring and teaching them to work, Adam and Eve were to subdue all of creation. The language of subduing and ruling mirrors what God did in creation, turning chaos into order. Adam and Eve are to turn the whole earth into a Garden of Eden. It won't happen by magic, but concerted effort. Theologians call Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28 the cultural mandate. God is maintaining that humans will create culture. Adam and Eve will produce children, and those children will create families, and those families will band together into cities and social networks, and those networks of human beings will reflect all the aspects of human culture, language and art and music and food and philosophy and theology. And by the way, that is what the church is supposed to be doing today. We are the ones creating culture of language and art and music and food and philosophy and theology. But he goes on, he says, they were meant to exercise dominion over all of creation, turning the entire earth into a showcase of the glory and beauty and majesty of God, then working it and caring for it for all of eternity. So work, with, so work was God's design from the beginning. And the ultimate goal of every aspect of life and culture is to be saturated with the beauty and glory and the love of God. So the original intent of our work ethic was to continue this ripple effect of God's glory across the entire earth. Adam was commissioned to work hard at preserving God's glory in three basic areas. And they're the three areas that we are to put the most work into in our lives. He was commissioned to, to create godly culture in his garden, in his relationships with people, and his relationship with God. And you and I, we have a garden. Our garden can be summed up in what the Apostle Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, when he says, Whatever you do in word and in deed, do it all to the name of Jesus Christ. So what's, what is our garden? Our garden is the job that we have today, not the job we wish for for the future. Our garden is the relationships we have today, not the relationship we wish we would have entered into in the past. Our relationships, or our hobbies today, matter to God, and the stewardship of our words and our deeds today matter because they matter to God. After the fall, Adam was distanced from his garden. God put him in another place, and he became disconnected with what he always intended to be doing. 
I know at sometimes we, f- we experience seasons where we get disconnected for where we feel like we could really glorify God the most in the way he designed us and the opportunities he's given us. Adam felt the same way. He also got disconnected from his relationship. We see the moment of the fall. Adam became disconnected with his wife. As sin entered, so did shame and blame shifting. And God has been trying to restore marriages and restore gardens ever since. And also, Adam's relationship with God himself was affected because of the fall. And that was done when Adam began to hide himself from the presence of God. And he began to try to cover up his own mistakes with his own efforts. And then God came and God began the work of restoration from that day forward. And he's been trying to restore work and he's been trying to restore relationships and he's been trying to restore our view of our calling ever since. He goes to Adam and he begins to cover him with his own covering, not the fig leaf that Adam put on himself. And he begins to give him a new work. And he's been trying to do this for all, of, all, all the rest of human history. And ever since then, God has been restoring the work of our hands through the work of his so that we can display the glory of God here on earth. And what we see in Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 27 and 28 is about work is, is number one, we see that the stewardship of God's glory is through our actions and our relationships. God asked him to fill the earth and subdue it. Part of our work is to build godly culture where we are at. And just like as God came to Adam and said, to two people, to two people, he said, you are going to fill the earth and subdue it. And they probably looked back at God and said, I don't even know how big the world is, let alone fill it with just the two of us. Maybe reading a little bit into this, but my guess is he had an opportunity to, to question God to say, is my influence really going to matter that much? Is my, is my reach going to really matter that much? And today, we get the opportunity to answer that same question about our own lives. Do you believe that your influence can reach beyond the four walls of your house? Do you believe that your influence can reach beyond the temporary nature of your career? Do you believe that your influence can affect those that are watching your lives from afar? Because if you do, God wants to work through that. And if you don't believe it, God wants to restore your thinking so that you would know that you are loved and wants, by God and he wants to use you. And he wants to equip you and he wants to, to move your influence beyond what you could imagine, beyond what you could, could dream of, beyond who you know. Because there's a world watching us to say that we follow Jesus. And they're looking to see how we do relationships. And they're looking to see how we work. And they're looking to see how we do friendships. And they're looking to see how do they make things work in their lives. And they're watching. 
we get an opportunity to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit every day of our lives, and God wants to empower us. Work also flows out of identity. If you notice in in Genesis 1, chapter 28, it says God blessed him, and then he commissioned him. Before he did anything, God blessed him. Before he did, it, before he, he, he cut one, one leaf off of a, a tree, before he named one animal, God said, you're blessed. And he does the same with us. He blesses you before you ever put your hand to anything. He loved you before you could ever do anything to impress him. His blessing is on your life. Even if you think that your life is a mess right now, he's calling you out and saying you're blessed, you're loved, you're favored, I have plans for you, your days are not numbered, and your, your, your influence is not stagnant. I've got something for you. Adam's work flew out of his identity, and also it flew out of his rest. And this is something that uh, a, f- a couple months ago, uh, AJ, when he was here, t- uh, told us, but I'll just reiterate it, is that, is that Adam's first day on earth was a day of rest. First full day of earth. God created on the sixth day. The seventh day was a day of rest. And my guess is that God didn't just rest. He probably rested with Adam because he loved to be with him. And Adam's first full day was a day of rest. And then out of that rest, he began to work. And the same is today, out of a restful soul, not just a day off, we know how to fill days off, and we know how to, I mean, I have a two-year-old, even my days off are not, like, restful, right? I have to play what my son calls baseball all the time, which is basically a badminton and, and a wiffle ball, and just pull the van out of the garage, close all the doors so he can't run away, and we just hit the ball back and forth, and, uh, and that's, that's my days off, uh, get a lot of steps in, but... But God always intended us to work out of a restful soul and a restful spirit where we know he has our lives in his hands. We don't have to earn his approval. We don't have to earn his respect. We don't have to earn the plan that he has for us. He already loves us. And it's out of that place of rest that I, and gratitude and thankfulness that then we begin to work hard and then we begin to, to put our hand to the plow and then we begin to do the work that is needed to restore relationships. And life really is a lot of work and life really is not easy. But it can be done out of a state of rest in our souls. Do you end the day by simply saying, that wasn't easy, but God, I still trust you. So many of my, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, a lot of my days end with, that wasn't easy. That's it. And it's the days that I begin to end it with, God, that wasn't easy. But I trust that you'll cover the mistakes that I did. And I I trust that you will empower tomorrow. It's in those days that we can begin to say, God, I'm going to work out of this place of rest. 
God's greatly interested in redeeming us as workers. In fact, to continue that quote, uh, it says, it's important that we see the work of goodness, uh, the work of uh, the goodness of work in God's original creation and the struggle of work under the fall. If we only see the good, we'll be frustrated when things don't go as they should. If we only see the bad, we'll have a hard time doing our work for the glory of God. Work is not all good and it's not all bad. It's part of God's good creation which has been tainted by the fall and God is at work at redeeming work and he is redeeming us and our work through the Holy Spirit. And I wanna look at one more scripture and it's in Philippians, Philippians chapter two. We're going to end here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, or 12 through 13 says, My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And many of us, we stop there and we memorize that part of the verse that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but we miss this next part. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Salvation is God working through you. You don't have to and you can't fix yourself by yourself. The outworking of our salvation will have an effect on everything we put our hands to, both our gardens and our relationships. And you'll find yourself as you begin to allow God to work in you. You'll find yourself glorifying him on your job sites. You'll find yourself glorifying him in the relationships that you have. Even if they don't necessarily work out the way you hoped, you can still glorify him. Even if relationships have to end at times, you can still glorify him. Even if it is difficult, you can glorify him because he's working through you and in you and he's empowering you with his spirit. As we begin to allow God to work in us through his word and his presence, God will begin to, through us, glorify him on this earth and people will be drawn to him and lives will be changed by the testimony of, of your words and the testimony of your work and you will begin to see him move through you in ways that you didn't know could happen. Adam lost his way because God's word was clouded in his image. And sometimes that happens with us, that we get a cloudy view of what God really is doing in our lives and we are distanced from the gardens and the relationships that we've been called to. God is reigniting within us the passion to put the work in to see him glorified here on earth. And he wants to do that today. And I believe as we, go, as we go into worship, God wants to put his spirit back into your life more and more. He wants to refill you with his spirit like they did in, in Acts chapter 4. If you, if you feel yourself downcast, if you feel yourself trampled by the difficulties of life, this is a moment where as we go back into worship, God wants to begin to reignite within you a passion to do the work that is necessary to see him the most glorified. And today is a day where your life, your purpose can begin to be altered in the presence of God. Because our vision 
is clarified by his word and by his presence. And your life is clarified by his word and his presence. And the light that goes in front of our path to enlighten our steps goes as in his word and his presence. So today, we're, gonna, we're going to allow him to work within us. Would you stand with me? We're going to go into worship. And what I want for us to do is, is take, if you have things in your life that you would say, I lost the passion to put the real work in in an area, I want you to submit that to the Lord. I want you to say, Lord, fill me with your spirit as I worship you and help me to re-engage with the things that matter most to you. Let's worship. Now 